0: Welcome to a special playoff edition of the Haber Show podcast. Today we have an awesome roundtable discussion on the Western Conference Finals, recapping the Golden State blowout win in Game 1 over the Blazers. You'll want to hear the insights from our two awesome reporters on the scene, from NBC Sports Northwest Blazers reporter Jamie Hudson. Follow her at Jamie Hudson NBCS. In the town, we have NBC Sports Bay Area Warriors reporter Logan Murdoch. He's awesome. He uh, has lots of insights about not just the Warriors, but also the Bay Area in this one. Follow him at Logan M Murdoch, L-O-G-A-N M-M-U-R-D-O-C. So we'll talk about Terry Stotts' spicy comment about guarding Steph. We'll get into the Curry family dynamics and also some Damian Lillard stories about Oakland, where he grew up and how big this series is for him, the Bay Area native. First, a little bit of a request, a rant. I don't know. Can we get the draft lottery on its own night? There were no games on Monday. We could have done this Zion-a-palooza then, right? Like, we didn't have to do it right before the Western Conference Finals where, like, for the first half between the the Blazers and Warriors, an amazing game, we were just, like, collectively piecing our brain back together after a ridiculously wild night in New York. On that note, if you want my winners and losers from Lottery Night, go check it out, my column at NBCSports.com slash or download the My Teams app to get all the good stuff, not just from me, but from Jamie and Logan. So, without further ado, let's get into the discussion. Jamie Hudson, our Blazers reporter, and Logan Murdoch from the Bay Area. All right, game one is in the books Western Conference Finals between the Golden State Warriors and the Portland Trail Blazers. Warriors win big, earning their seventh straight postseason win over the Blazers. But first I wanna get the full report on the important stuff from Warriors Practice that uh that just finished up. Logan Murdoch, our Warriors insider. You were there. We got a big series here, and I ask you what's on everyone's mind. What does Clay Thompson love more? His dog Rocco or the city of Portland?
1: I mean, that's a close tie, man. I don't I I don't know. <laughs> that's really tough. I know that he just he had just like a three-minute <laughs> love affair uh, with, with Portland all day of practice today. He just talked about how he wants to go to Burgerville, how he wants to go up to Vancouver and just tap in with his family. Uh, he was, just like, really juiced. It was probably the most engaged we've had Clay in a presser all season because somebody asked about Portland. And he was just really excited to give us an answer. He even said he liked the rain. He even said that he might jump into the Oregon coast. That's how excited he was today at uh Warriors practice. So it was a good clay today.
0: Wait, so uh, Jamie, did you know this about Clay Thompson, that he's obsessed with Portland?
2: I knew he always talked fondly of Portland. And hey, I get it. Burgerville is very good, you guys. You got to try it next time you're there. I got to tap in. Wait, I've yeah. never been to Burgerville. So <laughs> yeah. give, me, give me the a scouting stro- report. Strawberry milkshake. Is my favorite. But they also have like so many seasonal things. So, like a seasonal type of fries. They're very top of the line as far as a burger joint goes. And I, I love it.
0: That's awesome. Well, I'm, I, I think it kind of sounds like here in Charlotte, we have what's called. Why am I uh, why am I blanking out on the name of this place I used to go every single cookout. Thank you. Cookout. It's kind of like Burgerville. Is it like fast food? Oh my goodness,
1: Cookout is amazing.
0: Yes, exactly, Logan. Logan knows what I'm talking about.
1: But, I love um... Cookout because you can get 67, you can get 67 items for $10. <laughs> That's
0: exactly right. <laughs> you get that and there's like a list of like 80 different milkshakes and at 3 in the morning Uh, after work or after going out or whatever you're doing at 3 in the morning, it's always a good idea. Well, that's just a a good palate cleanser, pun intended, for this conversation because the story of Game 1 was all about guarding Steph Curry and Dame Lillard, the two leading scorers who love to fire it up from deep. The teams took two wildly different approaches The Blazers seem to sag off of Curry, which is a bizarre decision. Mm. The Warriors seem to swarm Lillard on the other end of the floor. Steph went off, and Dame was way off. He had seven turnovers in the four matchups, uh, the four regular season matchups. He had six turnovers total, and he had seven turnovers in game one. Jamie, you wrote last night that we might be getting a little bit of, like, New Orleans Pelicans flashbacks from last year.
2: That is how I felt, Tom, and especially because – Alfred Camillo and Maurice Farkless were not able to knock down any open threes. And so it really did feel like the New Orleans series. But the thing is, I really believe that there's going to be a lot of changes in game two. There has to be for the Blazers. But as far as Dame, when they're swarming Dame, I think Coach Stotts is going to go with maybe some more Rodney Hood because Hood's been a really consistent offensive player for them. So I think there could be some rotation changes as far as who's getting more minutes, because you gotta have shooters on the floor with so much attention on Dame. And that's what they learned against the Pelicans, So I could see them kind of changing changing up some some rotation uh, minutes in game two.
0: Yeah, last night, Kevin Pelton from ESPN, he tweeted out this incredible stat from Second Spectrum that the Warriors blitzed 12 Mm -hmm. Blazers picks in game one, tying their season high. The only other time that they blitzed that many picks, meaning they send a double team out high on the pick and roll, the only time they had 12 was against Portland back in December. They almost never do this, but they pulled that trick out of their bag last night Mm -hmm. uh, in game one. And nine of those 12 blitzes in the pick and rolls were against Damian Lillard. So a great moment in the playoffs last night. We got spicy Terry Stotts. Anthony Slater of the Athletic asked Terry Stotts after the game (laughs) the decision to not swarm Steph like the Rockets did in the previous series. And Logan, what happened?
1: Man, I think he wanted to run the fade with Anthony, man. That was hilarious. He just said that. He I think he asked the bank for him. <laughs> I wasn't in the room when that happened, but I saw the uh I saw the uh the reaction it was funny. But I mean it happens to the best of us. But basically he was just like, um, did we did he asked the question did the rocket swarm steph the answer is yes and what happened when the rocket swarmed steph he still scored 33 in the second half and they won the game so you know a little bit of frustration but I, what i will say though is i mean i get maybe sagging off but they had Canner in the paint and you were just getting right off of screens if you if, if steph got a screen he was wide open and it doesn't matter if it's Stephen curry or if it's anybody else in the league if you leave the nba player who can shoot that wide open he's gonna make it every time and take advantage of so, I mean, I, I guess I get sagging, but not sagging that far down the paint.
2: It was weird because they didn't sag against, like, Jamal Murray in the previous series. Mm-hmm. So that's what was killing me. They weren't sagging that much. So I I just don't see it happening again in game two. I was just
0: going to ask you, where did that come from? Where did this coverage come from? Was it, like, a mistake? Was it, like,
2: I, yeah. a last-minute decision? What happened? And, I think it was more of the Blazers weren't worried that the Warriors' bigs were going to shoot from out there, so they were more like, oh, it's okay, the big isn't going to shoot it so you can seg off a bit, but not seg off that much. And it was weird to me seeing how different – they were defending that pick-and-roll when they already had to go through that with Jamal Murray and, and Nikola Jokic, but that was the thing. Jokic could hit the three, so they were out a little bit more. You know, they were on the perimeter. But this is friggin' Steph Curry, so you can't do that. And I know it's going to change in game two. Yeah, it's just bizarre because
0: if I were was Anthony there in that press conference, and look, I'm not one to begrudge anyone no, who's put on the, on the spot like that, but I would have been like, uh, yeah, first half, how many points did he score? You know yeah. it I, have, zero breaking points in the I first have breaking news I have breaking
1: news I have some breaking news I apparently Terry Stotts opened his presser and asked, if Anthony Slater is here I'd like to apologize to him wow. I I am perusing Twitter right now and that that just happened so no, amends down. And, and and slate to his credit and slate to his credit it was like it's cool man I didn't you know it, so they've made amends Oh yeah
0: I, I wanted him to double down and just Sorry, make light of it. Um, Jamie, how often do we get that sass?
2: <laughs> Not very often. And that's what we were all talking about, all the Portland reporters. Like, ooh, okay. Now, you know, I mean, it's rare that we see that. So that I like that side of Terry's thoughts. I kind of want to see a little bit more of that extra sauciness. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it was great. And I I thought that, you know, Stotts, no one likes to get beat by 20. No one likes that, especially when you come off a two series like that. They go into Denver. They drop game one against Denver. They play at high altitude. They, you know, you you have the Ramadan thing with with Ennis Cantor. They're exhausted. Mm -hmm. They play four overtimes in game three. They're probably a little ornery, like grumpy. We've all been there when you're traveling all (laughs) the time and then someone just snaps at you like a question and you just like bite their head off for no reason. I like that about Terry's thoughts, but it also points to this thing I want to get into here. Is this just a case of that Portland's just tired, Jamie? Like that they're just that they are fatigued after that last series, they had to go 36 hours from game 7 an afternoon game to coming in on a Tuesday night after the the draft lottery. Is this a matter of fatigue? Do you think there's a lot of that here?
2: I think there's a little bit of that. Um but like you mentioned Tom The Blazers lost to the Nuggets in game one, and it it wasn't a very pretty game besides Dame having 39. He kept them in it. And I kind of feel like the Blazers just always kind of need to get that one game under their belt and then figure out and watch game film and be like, okay, here's what we need to do and how to change things up. But obviously there is a lot of fatigue. And, I mean, I don't think people realize how mentally that – Four overtime game like took so much out of them and I know it was what a week a week and a half ago I don't know all the days blend together for me too but I think that almost it's like a more of a mental fatigue right now than a physical which seems weird but this team man I think game two is going to be so different because of how now the Warriors are like feeling confident, and you can tell me otherwise, Logan, but I feel like they're like, okay, yeah, this is going to be a lot easier than our series against Houston. Like, that's just the vibe I've been getting. And obviously with Coach mm-hmm. Kerr saying last night, hey, we can play a lot more of our bench guys, and he said because of matchups. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was more like, well, we think we're going to like just roll through this well, one.
1: I mean, I can say this. I think that, I mean, the Rocket series, it seemed like, well, accounts was their Western Conference Finals. You know, it was there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You could tell, just in, even in the Warriors' blowout of, this, of the game in Game 1, they were still having mental lapses on the defensive end. One thing that comes to mind is when the, you know, when, the when the Blazers came, came back in the third quarter, and there were just mental lapses like miss, getting an offensive rebound on a missed free throw and Roddy Hood getting a three. You know, they weren't as sharp as they needed to be and, you know, they just came off an exhausting second-round series and it, I think it just shows the, I guess, the distance between the gap between these two teams is the Warriors really didn't play their best game. Um, what is it, Wednesday? Tuesday night, Tuesday night. They didn't play their best game and still were able to have a comfortable leap throughout. So, um, you know, it's, I, I think that they see this as, you know, we have to get through this. We have to battle against complacency with ourselves in this series.
0: Yeah, I don't see Steve Kerr going deep in the bench if they get popped in the second game of this series, right? Like, I almost feel like this Mm -hmm. was a a shot across the bow for Portland. It's just like, yeah, we uh, we can go 10 or 11 deep against this uh, against this Mm -hmm. Portland team. Different matchup here. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what I how I took it. Right, Jamie?
2: Yeah, no, definitely. And it was really funny because I got to hear a lot of reporters down here talk about, oh, how Steve Kerr was trying to be nice to the Blazers. And I just think that I think the players are going to hear that, feel that. And, I mean, when you have Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum hearing that kind of stuff, We've seen it, and it, it, it motivates him yeah. even more.
1: No, what was funny about that exchange is that Steve Kerr got asked about that again. Like he he got yeah he got asked to follow up on that on that on that notion of why he can play so many guys. He said matchups, but it, it seemed like he was flustered, and in, in the way that he was asked that question, uh, you know, asked a follow up like. Like, he wasn't expecting it. Like, oops, uh, uh, I don't know. So it it was very weird for him to say something like that. Um, And it could be ammunition. I mean, I know Dame Dame is from the town, so definitely doesn't need any extra motivation. But if he can get it, it it would definitely be in that quote.
0: Dame just said after the game that it was tough. Just he felt – I don't think he admitted directly that he was tired. I don't know if many superstars do that. But I think he alluded Mm -hmm. to the fact that after that Denver series coming into this – and having all the bodies thrown at him uh, in this game it was exhausting and I think a lot of times Dame was trying to cut into the crease of the of the defense and try to pass out of it. He could do that against Denver, but the warriors' <laughs> length and the i q defensively and the activity defensively and the energy i mean I think that 's what was the big difference between this series and Denver is. You got a rested Warriors team, a fired up Warriors team that won on Friday night against uh, against Houston. And they get a couple extra days off and they also get the just kind of, I don't know, uh, an emotional return for a certain player who tore his pectoral muscle what five months ago. And Logan, you wrote on that. How, how important is that? And not necessarily in this series, but for the team getting Damian Jones.
1: Getting Damian Jones back is, is is pretty crucial, especially since we don't know when we're going to get DeMarcus Cousins back. We don't we don't know when the Warriors are going to get DeMarcus Cousins back. And I know there's been reports out there that he could come back in this series, but the guy hasn't, hasn't run yet. He hasn't been on contact. So in in the meantime, Damian Jones is a is a, is a really good piece, to Young piece. He can spread the. He can help spread the floor with his um, with his alley oops um, and being a rim and being a rim protector at times and blocking shots. He's re- He's probably one of the most athletic guys on this roster. So if they can get him back uh, playing good minutes it could be nothing but a boost to get time away from Draymond Green to get time away, get them to get those rests and get time for Boga to get rest. It could be really good um, to get Damian Jones in, not even for that many minutes per game, probably just maybe 15 minutes here and there to get Draymond a blow and to get these defensive guys a blow. If he can do that, you know, the Warriors, uh, you know, will be pretty happy with the result, especially since he hasn't been, some didn't expect him to be back this soon. So that is, that is good.
0: That's big. They need the energy. Jordan Bell, too. I mean, that's kind of the thing, is not only... If if you can survive those minutes with the bench guys, that's huge, because not only do you survive, but you also get rest for the other guys, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I think part of the strategy of getting these guys out there is to give Draymond some rest, give Klay Thompson some rest, Steph some rest, and try to, um, you know, have some more fuel left in the tank for the finals. Look, I think All the energy on the boards is going to be huge in this series because that's where the Achilles heel is for the Warriors. When they're starting, you know, Andre Iguodala, like they could get crushed on the boards like they did against uh, with P.J. Tucker. With Bogut out there, it's a little different. I mean, Ennis Kanter is going to be the fulcrum of this series. If he can punish the Warriors on the boards, get offensive rebounds, grab those defensive rebounds and outlet to Damian, let him get out in transition – uh, and operate in space rather than having to operate against a set defense. I think that's going to be huge. And Canner like didn't have a bad game. Um, and I think a lot of people, what we do when we see these highlights, uh, when we see Steph Curry pulling up from thirty uh, with no one in front of him, and Canner's just hanging out in the paint, we kind of uh, we clown on these guys a little too much. But I think Canner like I think he in many ways is going to be the key to this series for Portland because if he can punish them on the boards. Um, that's huge. That's huge against the Warriors team that doesn't want to have to fight for every single rebound. What do you think of K- Kanner's role in this series, Jamie?
2: Oh, Tom, I completely agree. And I have never seen him miss so many putbacks. I mean, not yes. just Kanner, but the Blazers as a whole. And it was weird, too, because against the Nuggets, against Jokic, Cantor, they were getting the ball to him down low, and we didn't see that at all in Game 1 against the Warriors. And I'm thinking, why wouldn't you do that against a smaller team? Like, I get it, Draymond's pesky, and Cantor's pretty slow. But still, get him on the block, get him some touches. So I think not only rebounding, but just try and get him more involved. And I know that the pick and roll is, like, the Blazers go-to, and I get it. But that was more so because... When they had use of Nurkage, that two-man game between Dame and Nurk was working so well. So they just kind of keep going with that, and I just don't think that's Cantor's strength. So uh, I'd like to see them kind of use Cantor differently when they are set in their in their offense. Um, but I expect game two for him to get some more uh, putbacks and actually finish them too.
0: Yeah, it was it was odd. Like a- after the game, speaking of pick and roll coverage, it was like I think I saw it from the Athletic. Uh, mm-hmm. Some quotes from Evan Turner saying it's really hard to switch pick and roll defense with this team. I've been harping on it for 3 years to switch up. It seemed like they were a little bit more vocal in the locker room Jamie about, you know, strategy going into game 2. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, they were really vocal and and I liked how, you know, Dame was saying that Hey, their defense—they know they've got to change it on, on Steph. And I mean, CJ McCollum flat out said like there was nothing good about how they defended the Warriors' pick and roll. So maybe Coach Dos doesn't want to admit it, but the players are. You know, I'm like eager for Game Two to tip off and see what kind of changes they make.
0: Yeah, Logan, what are what are some of the things that uh, you think can hurt the Warriors here in Game Two?
1: Um, I think it's the, the same thing that's hurt them all season long i think it's complacency i think that if they continue to play you know the way that they in some at least had the mindset that they had in game 1 uh, you know constantly getting uh, getting out and blitzing pick and rolls and using their length uh, to their advantage they can they can win this series easily in my mind either four or five games but if they keep show the complacency that they did earlier in the playoffs against the Clippers, you know, losing 31 point leads and things like that. This could be a longer series than we, than we anticipated. And Damian Lillard, we all know that he can go off. We all know that CJ can go off, but I do think that the Warriors are obviously the better team even without Kevin. And if they can, you know, fight off that, you know, the lack of focus and complacency, I think that they, um, they should be fine. But if they can't, then we've seen what happened in the past.
0: What is the status of Kevin Durant and what's your intuition on the situation of, of when he'll be back and whether there's games gamesmanship going on here?
1: I think that, obviously I think he's out for game two but I think that It's also a wait and see. I think Steve Kerr always likes to have a guy have a workout in or at least have a practice in before he gets on the floor, and that's including Kevin. And as long as they keep winning, this could stretch out a little bit longer than anticipated. Uh, I think just to get him right all the way right, if they're up 3-0, there's really no reason to just rush him back. Um, you want him as healthy as possible, especially going into if they you know are able to go into the finals. You want a healthy Kevin Durant. So, I think that they're being really cautious, just like they are with DeMarcus Cousins. And you know, we'll see what happens. But for sure, not in Game Two. And um, we'll see how the series progresses. Was he there for Game One? I'm not sure. I didn't see him walking around. Uh, I've obviously seen some of his people there, but I didn't see Kevin Roman Oracle. Yeah,
0: because I didn't see him on. the I'm not to say he but...
1: wasn't there, but I didn't. Yeah, he wasn't on the bench for sure. I don't know if he was in the building, um, but I could be wrong. I I, I don't I don't but I didn't see him.
0: Oddly enough, like the national conversation around the Warriors right now is all about Steph. <laughs> like he he went off and was just incredible in game 1 from the jump. Um, you know, I think at the end of the first half it was like watching 2015 again and of course in the end of the game against Houston when I was there, It was ridiculous how confident he was, how he didn't let the first half get to him, and he just ripped the throats out of the uh, the entire Houston team. And the numbers are astounding. Uh, I tweeted this out after the game that, you know, he's averaging 46 points per 48 minutes without Kevin Durant on the floor this postseason. I think it's cliche, it's narrative that he's better without Kevin Durant, but what's your perspective on this as someone who's been in the trenches with them all season long? does, Does Steph talk about this like that he's a different person or a different player without him
1: anytime there's a notion of like him and kevin uh maybe you know a difference of if kevin's off the floor he's playing better without kevin he kind of shoots that down most, like most times i do feel like there is more of a freedom of movement when kevin isn't on the floor four steps to kind of maneuver and you kind of saw that in the second half of um of game six but for the most part i think that you know he's trying to coexist as much as he can with kevin and but when he does play, like how he does, it definitely gives uh, throwback vibes <laughs> for sure. I remember being in a building back in the day mm-hmm. when he would go on those on those little runs. Mm-hmm. And but I do think that he also appreciates, you know, when when Kevin is on the floor because let's be honest, you know, when this, this all looks nice when Steph is doing this, but it's a huge burden for him to carry this offense, you know, night in and night out, mm-hmm. especially without at the level that he's doing it. So I think there is a freedom move, but I do think he is, you know, like most of the. Pretty much all of the team is you know, ready to have Kevin back whenever he's ready to come back.
0: Yeah, I thought they made a concerted effort after the Houston series to harp on the fact that he's the best player on the team, best player in the league, um, and just kind of pump him up because it's easy to run with the narrative of, yeah, we don't need that guy. We can, we can win. We can go back to 2015, 2016 when we won 73 games. It's back to those days, but it's a tightrope walk for that team, I feel like, because KD does offer them so many different things, offensively, defensively, just in terms of intimidation of having to go against that dude. But I do think there's a little bit of energizing effect. I remember Steve Kerr a couple years ago when Steph got hurt. I think it was an MCL injury, not in the playoffs. I think the, earlier in the season, maybe it was an ankle, and people were like, oh, like this must be terrible. Steph's hurt, and what are you guys going to do? And he was like, ah, actually, this is probably pretty good for us. Like, this is good. Like, I, I think it's good to kind of get, you know, shake off some boredom and kind of change things up. And we need to face some adversity to wake up a little bit. And I feel like with this Warriors team, that's kind of the kick in the pants that you needed for, uh, for them not to, like, fall asleep at the wheel with the Houston Rockets. Is like, I think it energized them somewhat. I think it did. Definitely. The TV cameras were all over Dell. And the Currys basically every time Steph or Seth did anything. What is some interesting stuff from you guys that people from the outside don't get to see about the relationship between those two? Or so, a, a little anecdote in this series about those two and the, and the Curry family.
1: Not to just give a plug, but I do want to give a plug to uh, our guy Monty Pool, um, NBC Sports Bay Area. He is actually—I don't know if he's out there—but he's about to have something out with both uh, Dell and Sonya. So I think that you're really going to get a chance to see that dynamic that you um, are asking about. But you know, I think this is a really tight knit family. I mean, I think that uh, I, a lot was talked about the, the uh, coin flip and you know who was going to wear which jersey, but. Sonya came out with the with the old, old school split jersey. she had on the front, I think it was Seth Blazer jersey and on the back it was it was Steph. So, I think it was a really close knit family. Obviously they want to win. Uh, both both brothers want to win, but I think the family would be cool with with either result. Um if it, you know what I mean? And I think that there it, it, right after the game in the uh the bowels of Oracle Arena, you could just see they were all huddled up. There was um after the game, it was it was Sonya, it was Sidel, it was Damian Lee was there, Steph, and it was they were all kind of huddled up even after the game. They were all chilling and talking, uh, just outside the Warriors family room. And I think that that kind of shows even with the stakes of this series that they are still a tight knit family.
2: I was thinking, uh, I think it's really cool for the parents, but I know Seth is kind of over it, you know, like that Mm storyline. I mean, after game one, he was like, Yeah, you know what? I play against my brother a lot. And I think even Steph said that too. Um, So it's really cool for them as a family, but I think the players are actually like, Okay, let's like, we're done talking about this. Like, that's the vibe I get. This is weird how, how big the
0: Curry family is in the NBA, right? Like, Last series, we had Austin Rivers, who is engaged to Steph's... Like, wait, wait, no. Austin Rivers, his sister, is engaged his to... His sister is, yep. is
1: engaged to Seth.
0: Yes. And they have a kid together. Mm-hmm. It's crazy yep. how big the Curry family... Like, they own the league!
1: Yeah. It's the, they, I think Steve I think yeah. the called I them mean, the royal family. Yeah.
2: <laughs> That's great. <laughs> And I just think back to like when Riley Curry was taking over, when Steph's daughter was taking over those press conferences and how much everyone loves Riley. Uh, It's just, it's so funny.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, you know, we're going to see a lot more of this, you know, Cole Anthony, Greg Anthony's kid coming through the league. I wrote this big feature at the, at the all-star break about how second generation players. um, And I'm going to plug two here, Logan, you, you kind of broke the seal there. So, uh, the the story I did at, at the All Star break was that second generation NBA players are way on the rise. When Steph Curry entered the league, guys, there was nine players who were the son of an NBA player. Now there's like thirty. Just over the past like nine years, ever since Curry came into the league, so this is going to happen and keep happening. Huh? Um, and you know, I think the people the, what people don't realize is how impactful Sonia is. Because the mothers in this in these relationships have just as much impact DNA wise. Sonia is an amazing athlete. She was played volleyball at Virginia Tech. Oh, she was um, a beast, yeah. And at what, what was that? She hit like the half court shot there at the All Star game. I mean, the whole place went nuts. Underhand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with the rise <laughs> of of female sports in the '90s uh, and even before that, like you're going to see these super couples. Uh, create some amazing, amazing NBA players one day, and it's just incredible to watch. Like every time they play, the Curry's like Steph Curry plays someone. I'm like, wait, isn't he related to that person over there? Um, and I'm sure Steph yeah. and Seth are like <laughs> tired of this at this point, but it's super cool to see. I'd imagine, I'd imagine that Seth's gonna have his his big moment here. Um, you know, as a as a little brother, I'd imagine he just feels like this is. You know, yeah, I, I gotta punch back, right? Like Seth Curry, when they're when he's going well, yeah. the Blazers team is so much better. When they get the production off the bench, Um, mm-hmm. especially when you have Aminu just not really providing that punch in the starting lineup, just only one three pointer, kind of the canary in the coal mine for the Blazers. When he has just one three point attempt, Aminu, that's not good. That's not a good sign for their offense. And if Seth, if Seth Curry can show up and get 20 for this team, or even 15, um, that's going to go a long way.
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. Seth and Rodney Hood. I just think the Blazers' bench can be, they, they're not so consistent, but they can be so much better. Better than what the Warriors bring off the bench, and so for me, I'm thinking <laughs> once you have Steph and Clay sitting out, that's when you need to take advantage. Um, and yeah. it's interesting because we saw in Game Seven against the Nuggets, Stotts decides decided to sit Aminu and Harkless, and he started Hood and Zach Collins. Um, so I don't, I'm not saying I see that starting lineup change because I know Stotts is very key on keeping that all together, but. You gotta get more shooters out there, like you said, Tom. You can't have, you can't rely on Aminu's three shoot, three-point shooting right now.
1: Right, and that's the thing that, to your point, Jamie, that was the thing that the uh, the Clippers really took advantage of is when mm-hmm. you know the start when the Warriors started and went to the bench. That's when they balled out and that's when they got back in the game and even made leads um, when Kevin was off the floor, when you know when Clay was off the floor, when you get into that second unit that's been the Achilles over the Warriors all season long is you get them when they're when their Hall of Fame caliber starters are on the are on the bench. And that's if there is something that the the Portland Trailbagers can adjust to with this team and kinda get them is off of their bench. And you know, that's gonna be a test for the Warriors.
0: Lastly, I want to hit this because I'm not from the Bay Area. I don't know Dame Lillard on a personal level. So tell me how central this Oakland thing is for Dame and for the Warriors to not let Dame get get off in this
1: series. I mean, Dame kind of said this after the game that he could literally walk to where he's, uh, to walk to his uh, child at home from the Coliseum, and that's literally true. I mean, I, I remember um, so I spent some summers in Brookfield you know, at, at the Ira Jenkins Community Center uh, at Brookfield on 98 and Eads, and it's literally, you can see the Coliseum from there, and so Dame is a guy that had seen Warriors basketball. That when we were growing up, I mean, me and Dame are obviously different in age, but when I was growing up, Coliseum was the place where cool things happened. That was like the only spec where it seemed like Oakland was on the map. If you went, if you did it in the Coliseum, that was a big deal. That was before Steph was there. That was even before we we believe if you made it to the Coliseum, it was like our little Hollywood. And that was where, you know, NorCal championships were and, and things of that nature. So if you did something big, it was going to be either at the Coliseum or it was going to be at Oracle arena. Um, And so for Dame to show out one last time, I know that's going to mean the world to him, and that's going to mean the world to you know East Oakland in general. Um, so that's something that the Warriors, the thing that the Warriors are going to have to focus on. They're going to have to focus on Dame having a, obviously going to always have a chip on his shoulder, but to do it in Oracle Arena for the last you know Western Conference playoff series in that building, that's going to be a big deal for him. So you know the Warriors got to find a way to combat that energy.
2: Yeah, I mean he called it before game one a storybook moment to play in his first Western Conference Finals at Oracle and Oracle's last year. Um it's always really, really great to listen to the stories that he has of him visiting uh, Oracle. And one story he talked about on Monday was that, I think it was in fourth grade, he and his buddy had kind of, you know, got by security, because security was not really a big thing back then. (laughs) It was like, no big deal. And they were in the tunnel area, and they found this um, gym bag, and they were like, oh, what's in here? And it it, it turned out it was the mascot, who at the time was a Thunder. I guess, the mascot scene? It was thunder, and yeah, they were thunder, like, oh, yeah. wow, this is the Thunder mascot? Like, they thought it was so cool. And then Dave said this bald guy came running around the corner like, hey, get out of there. That's my stuff. And they were like, no way. That's Thunder? Like, they yeah. couldn't believe that this bald guy, I guess, I guess they didn't expect him to look like and just hearing Dame talk about that, uh, it's so funny. He's got so many awesome memories of being at Oracle. And so, yes, I'm with you, Logan. You know that that's the top of Dane's list is to do one more memorable thing here in his hometown.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. Lots of storylines here. Uh, I, I think we're going to see a much different game, two. If we know anything about this Blazers team, they're resilient. They bounce back after losing game one against Denver. Dame is not going to let this happen. Seven turnovers, season-high seven turnovers in game one. Just didn't have it going. But I think it's, you're going to see a different Dame. You're going to see a different team out of Portland for game two. Logan, Jamie, really appreciate you guys taking the time here. Um, I know it's been a busy several weeks here at the end of the NBA season, but thanks so much for joining us. You can find Jamie Hudson at the NBC sports Northwest. Go down the my download the, my teams app to get all of her stuff. Follow her on Twitter as well. You got Logan Murdoch at NBC sports Bay area covering the warriors. Awesome stuff for both of you. Thanks so much for joining. All right. Thanks so much for listening to the Haber show podcast. Go subscribe. If you haven't already Anywhere you get your podcasts, go give me a review. Five stars, please. Four is fine. Three is fine. You know what? Just give me any sort of rating. Uh, I think that helps my score no matter what. So thanks for joining me on this podcast. Go check out Jamie Hudson's work at NBC Sports Northwest. Go check out Logan Murdoch's stuff. He's great as well at NBC Sports Bay Area. And also Monty Poole. Go follow his work. There was a great story uh, that Logan shouted out that'll be coming out soon. Go check that out on The Curry Family. Until next time on The Haver Show.